This episode of Didn't I Just Feed You is sponsored by By Heart. Longtime listeners know that Stacy and I both struggled with infant feeding stages with all our kids. Breastfeeding was hard, and choosing a formula was, well, also hard. We're thrilled to be working with By Heart, an infant nutrition company on a mission to make the best formula in the world. Not only is By Heart an easy-to-digest formula, their formula is also clinically proven for easier digestion, less spit-up, and softer poops versus leading infant formula. By Heart has their own patented protein blend that includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio, just like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code D-I-J-F-Y for a limited time. That's byheart.com slash podcast and code D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You. Additional terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Megan, a lot has changed since my boys started solids, but one thing hasn't. Parents are always looking for delicious options that deliver the most nutrition as affordably as possible. We all want what's best for our kids. Which is why we're so thrilled to share Amara Organic Foods. Their baby foods deliver all of the taste, textures, and nutrients of fresh purees with the convenience of an on-the-go powder. Yes, powder. Amara is a small company making big changes in the baby food space. When founder Jessica realized that by removing the water content from fresh foods, she could retain all of their nutrients and flavor without having to boil them to death, she partnered with an infant nutritionist to turn these super powders into a less processed, more affordable baby food option. You just add water, breast milk, or formula to your Amara baby food powder, mix, and serve. This allows you to customize the texture of your baby's meal, which is ready in seconds. All of this and Amara is 100% organic, non-GMO, and plant-based without any added preservatives or sugars. In fact, Amara has 50% less natural sugar than leading brands and still costs less than $2 a meal. It's no wonder that Amara was voted best baby food by The Bump, good housekeeping, and what to expect. Learn more at amaraorganicfoods.com backslash D-I-J-F-Y and get 25% off their online shop using our exclusive code FEEDU25. That's FEEDU25 for 25% off any purchase at amaraorganicfoods.com slash D-I-J-F-Y, short for Didn't I Just Feed You. I always say, you know, like food isn't love, but feeding people is love. And so quite literally for babies, you are showing love when you are feeding the baby and satisfying their needs. So that becomes, so when that doesn't happen, there's a schism with attachment. They become very insecure in the world. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You? A podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. 
Today, we are so excited to kick off a new ongoing series called How We Feed, where we speak with family cooks whose family structures fall outside of the cis-heteronormative one around which so much of family food media is based. Hopefully, you know that we're super passionate about helping busy home cooks feed their families and are thrilled to talk about it in a more expansive and inclusive way. In fact, we really want to hear from you on this. Do you know someone who you think would be great for us to talk to or who's feeding a family for which the typical advice doesn't fit? Tell us. So you can email us or find us on social, of course, but even better than that, you can join our community. As a reminder, there's a free area that absolutely anyone can join with just an email address. Or if you're able, you can become part of our supporting membership. In return, we'll give you lots of love. (laughs) More direct access to us, as well as exclusive episodes every single month and a quarterly cocktail hour with a humongous giveaway. And hey, if you can't join our community or become a supporting member right now, you can always support Didn't I Just Feed You by leaving a rating or review. For some reason, review is a hard word to say today. (laughs) Sometimes words are hard. Sometimes. There's so much a part of me that is like, I don't want to do any preamble, pre-banter. I don't want to talk even about how this series came to be because I just want to hear from Kim. And I want you guys to hear this interview that both Stacey and I left breathless with like just excitement, but also emotions about everything we talked about with Kim. I totally agree. Also, if we talk about it too much before, I might get teary again. It was hard not to get emotional. I could cry. I could cry right now. (laughs) (laughs) So instead of crying, let's introduce Kim Foster. She's a James Beard award-winning food writer who is currently at work on her new book, The Meth Lunches for St. Martin's Press. The book is about food and what people eat and cook at the intersection of poverty, mental illness, and loss. It's due out in 2023, when we will certainly have Kim back on the show. She's the parent of four kids with her husband, David. She'll tell us all about those kids when we start off. She and David were foster parents for several years, and their youngest two were adopted from care. They have chickens, turkeys, who actually, if you listen closely, you'll hear in the interview. (laughs) In such a lovely way. Bunnies, dogs, and cats and live in Las Vegas, Nevada. Their house is very loud. Without further ado, here's Kim. Kim, I want to start by learning a little bit more about your family. How do you define your family? Who's in your family? Who's in your family currently? And how do you think about how it changes over time, your family structure? Okay, so uh, right now we are... Uh, it's my, my husband, David, and I. We have two biological children, uh, Lucy, who's 17, and Edie, who's 15. And we have two children that we adopted from foster care. Rafi is 10, and Desi is 6. And we actually are not currently fostering new kids just because we are tapped out in the house. So there's like, a, there's just no room for anybody else. <laughs> so uh, we have a very small house here in Vegas. So we sort of, when we adopted these kids, we sort of had to take fostering off the table. Yeah. So we're just sort of, there's just six of us in a small house with bunnies and chickens and turkeys and dogs and cats. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Rafi and Desi are adopted. They are adopted. Correct. And how long ago did you adopt them? The adoption actually was a 
couple of years ago. We've had them for we had we've had them as foster children for a really long time. And the goal had been reunification, which is the way it is for um all foster kids for for as long as it possibly can be. And then uh after the parental rights are terminated, then um then it can be transferred over for adoption, but it has to go to that sort of very it has to go through a really long process before you can get to the point where the kids can be adopted, which is completely um, as it should be, because every biological family should have the opportunities to get their children back and do the things they need to do to get their kids. So that's sort of part of it. One, I feel like it's so fun that you're like, oh, there's just six of us in the house, like as if that's a small number of people to feed. I'm so curious about like, does everyone in the house eat the same thing? Did you have an adjustment period to like bringing on fosters and feeding them and making them feel like comfortable and welcome in your home? Okay, so this is sort of a complicated, the the feeding the kids is really complicated, Mm -hmm. as you can imagine, right? Always. So a lot of our kids, I just want to start by saying that my belief is that no one who is poor should lose their kids. So I just want to say that because Mm -hmm. we'll be talking a little bit about poverty, but my personal opinion is that kids should never be taken because there's not enough food in the house. There's not, I mean, those things can be fixed, right? There's enough food for everybody and those things can be fixed. So, but a lot of times poverty is a sort of comorbidity of how kids get into foster care. Is that the system identifying aspects of poverty as being problematic and pulling kids? Yes. Or is it the parents also just not having the resources that they should have that should be available to them and saying, I don't know what to do. I can't feed these children. I can't provide the basics. It's it's sort of both, right? Sort of both. It's absolutely both. Yeah. And, and which is, which sucks because those things are so um, manageable, right? Yes. In terms of like, we have enough food, we can get food yep. to people, those kinds of things. But sometimes there's also other comor- comorbidities like drug addiction, yeah. uh, mental illness, those kinds of things. And so poverty is sort of a part of that. Um, like maybe the family's experiencing poverty because there's mental illness and they can't work, right? Those things are really complicated because they're all sort of shoved together. Yes. You know what I mean? And you can't, so somebody might be poor. Like, so for instance, you can, can, your kids can go into care if you are, um, you have to go to work and there's a two hour thing and you have to either go to work and feed your family or yeah. not go to work and leave your kid alone. And then that, and then maybe, maybe you also live in a place where there's other people making poor decisions because people who make poor decisions tend to live together um, because poverty is a stressor and stress makes you make bad decisions, right? So because you're constantly stressed and you don't have a lot of relief and you don't have a lot of uh, space to make the decision. Combine that with lack of resources that should be available that aren't. Yes. Exactly. And having to fight for those resources, like yeah. having to have a car to get to there, or I mean, there's just so many sort of things that people get bound up in, and then the, and then foster care is sort of there as a sort of solution, which is sort of a solution, yeah, because it really does take the family apart, and it can be very very difficult for the kids. So a lot of our kids come to us with these kinds of com- comorbidities, mm-hmm. right, where they're 
they've had scarcity and they've experienced hunger. And um, so our children, uh, Desi was born into foster care, but her brother came to us after um, having like a, been through a pretty neglectful situation. And so he comes to us with a lot of food issues. And just to give you like a little ramp up into this discussion, what we know about hunger in the very beginning of life is that it changes everything metabolically, mm. right? So when a baby cries and you go to feed the baby, and you hold the baby in your arms, the baby cries out. And when you respond, it has security in the world. It cries, you come. It cries, you come. It's hungry, you feed it. So food is really bound up in security and feeling loved. And so when babies don't get fed correctly, they often have a schism with attachment. And so because I always say, you know, like food isn't love, but feeding people is love. And so quite literally for babies, you are showing love when you are feeding the baby and satisfying their needs. So that becomes, so when that doesn't happen, there's a schism with attachment. They become mm -hmm. very insecure in the world. They don't feel as safe. And there's a lot of fight and flight responses. There's a lot of worry about food. There's a lot of concern about whether we have enough food. I mean, coming home with groceries is like Christmas here. Yeah. You know, so because it's like, oh, what'd you get? And is that mine? And yes. who's that? And, you know, it's very like, it's a very sort of, um, like it's physical, it's mental, like everybody's like stimulated. It's, you know, that kind of stuff. So. And does that impact the types of foods you buy? Yes. I mean, there's like your own budget, right? Which is a limiting factor, like yes. having to feed as many people as you have to feed. Yeah. But then there's like, I imagine, I don't know, I have a 15 year old and he was raised food secure and he you know kim you and i connected many years ago mm -hmm. when we were both like food blogger world you know and i was very proud that my son like ate risotto and would try an oyster and like all of that business yeah and it's interesting to see how his tastes have changed as he's become an independent person out in the world and how I've kind of stepped back from feeding him as hard as that's been, um, where it's like, you know, the salt, the fat, the hyper uber processed foods, yeah. all those things that just give you that it of like, yes. this is delicious. This is salty. This is sweet. Yeah. Are, like, are those foods that you find all of your children crave, especially the foster children? Are they foods that you buy? Like, how do you think about what you bring in the house, given this context? The system for the family works like this. We choose what people eat. Mm -hmm. They choose when and how much. So I just bring in really like we have a snack drawer and I have cheeses and meats and like things that can warm up and throw in the microwave. We, I, didn't have a microwave for the longest time. We finally got one because this way they <laughs> sell something. Yes, you know? totally. So uh, I do not buy unhealthy foods generally. Like I don't have voltage and Takis in my, um, mm. 
you know, so my Isaac would disapprove. Yes, I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I did with the girls because, yeah. you know, Winnie Abramson, I mean, do you know Winnie? I do know Winnie. <laughs> yes. Winnie Abramson told me once that like, as long as you're like packing them with really, really good food, like in the meal times that like, it doesn't matter what the snacks are. Right. And I've always done that with my girls. Yep. They'll eat like, they'll come out and they'll eat like, you know, really a great, you know, meal yeah. like salads and fish and stuff like that. But then they'll, you know, eat Takis, but I don't care. Yes. Right? Yeah. My son just loves that hit. Yeah. That, taste and I have this like so funny story because you know the uh, I can't even the persimmons that you dry you know I can't it was it um I can't remember Pachia, Pachia. yeah yeah when you when you let them dry until they're like they become this like candy because the sugars yeah. come out of them so I did that one year and they actually were like well this isn't like you know this isn't like candy and I was <laughs> like <laughs> and I was like right because it can't it, that, it's nature's candy. It's nature's they were like, candy. screw your nature's candy. <laughs> it's not engineered, like highly engineered food to be super satisfying. That's like the difference, it's, right? Candy is super engineered to be satisfying, to give us like a huge hit of sugar and also dopamine and like trigger our brains. And it's a comfort. So when you're constantly stressed about food and stressed about whether you're going to have food, and it's a very subliminal thing for him. He intellectually knows we have food but like okay like last night somebody came over and we had like there were a bunch of he just couldn't stop eating he couldn't mm. stop there was like somebody had brought cake and there was like donuts and then i had like really good food but he couldn't he just had to like have this um this sugary food and he wasn't even hungry and he yeah. wanted to keep eating. So this is a you know, so there's all these impulses happening in his brain and sort of firing away because of that insecurity. Um he hoards food, mm -hmm. which is a you know a coping strategy, right? If you don't have enough food, you want to have a stash of food. So we have a stash of food in his bedroom. I've found things in his backpack that, you know, like school food packets that he'll save and they're in the bottom of his backpack and there's like flies inside the package because mm -hmm. he just has to have it he's a yes. no intention of eating it it's just he has to have it with him so having this sort of visual food knowing it's always accessible it's really important for him so how do you handle these situations? I mean, how it sounds like you allow him to have a stash of food in his bedroom because that's a comfort to him. Did you last night when he couldn't stop eating and you clearly became aware of that, you noticed? Yeah. Do you just let it be? Do you let it play out? Is it part of establishing your rapport with him? Like, I would imagine that how you handle these different situations around food also really plays into how you establish trust and love and security for him in your home. How can he trust you if you lock the fridge? Yes. Yep. You know, because attachment and hunger are so like connected to one another that you have to be very careful as a parent with foster kids and not all the foster kids. We've had foster yep. kids who just, they'll just, you know, I'll make like a bow bun and they'll be like, yeah, I'll have three of those, put some sriracha on it. You know, yeah. yes. that's not always the case, right? Yes. But in this case, because he had had such a difficult beginning, I, what I tend to do now that he's 10, which didn't work when he was four, 
I'll remind him. Like last night, I was like, do you really want that donut? You know, mm-hmm. you had two, you know, and a piece of chocolate cake. But what happens is, and my husband noticed this later, he didn't eat it. He had to take it and it had to sit on his plate, but he didn't eat it. You know, it's so interesting. Your question about, do you really need that donut? You know, a lot of us here, a lot of us who are just raising our biological children and have enough privilege to ensure food safety in our home and our kids feel secure in that. There's a lot of advice around not saying things like that because you end up interrupting their ability to establish their own mind-body connection and to establish their own sense of, oh, this, you know, I'm full now or I'm not full. And it's really important for that to develop, for them to develop on their own. But when you are raising a child for whom that was interrupted long ago, Mm -hmm. that mind-body connection, you're going to put on, you know, you're going to parent slightly differently to help reestablish that. Everything is about the attachment. Mm -hmm. Everything, everything, everything. I mean, this is a kid who like when we first, when he first came to us, he would have, he had been, he had been in five foster homes and he had been at Child Haven, which is like, um, in Vegas, it's like, a um, it, I mean, I call it an institution, but it's a, they do the best they can. It's basically to keep foster kids from sleeping under the desk of social workers. It's yeah. like, a, you know, we, we refer to it as Lord of the Flies, you know, they do the best they can, but it's like, you know, it's still an institution. And he had been there twice. And when he came to us, he would... I mean, for years, this wasn't like just in the beginning for years, I felt like I was always worried he would just go off with somebody because he had no sense of like, there were so many people who took care of him that he would, if you said, okay, you know, Ralphie, come with me or I'm getting my car. We're going to take you, you know, be like, okay, all right. You know, because he was used to just saying yes and obeying everybody that was around him. So everything with Ralphie has been attachment, attachment and just you know what makes him feel safe even like recently we had this you know he's 10 now he's been with us since he was four um it's been six years he's been longer with us than he was without us and um the print we have a new principal and the principal um went back he got in trouble and she went back and looked at his record and the record and, and he's he's been suspended a lot and um, has been, you know, aggressive and those kind of has hard time controlling his body. Um, she said to him, like, she said, you know, I've looked at this and this record is going to follow you for like the rest of your life because, you know, look at all the things that, you know, you've done. And he came home and he was like, you know, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to be homeless. I'm so happy. I can't control my body. I've gotten in trouble all the time. They're taking, you know, um, they're, they're actually taking notes about it and keeping notes about how many times I misbehaved. And I think my life is going to be bad and I'm going to be homeless. And, you know, it was so heartbreaking, you know, and then I have to go and talk to the vice principal and say, yeah. you can't say stuff like that to him. He's very aware how tenuous his position is in the world, you know, how his lack of security is dependent, his, his security is dependent on so many things. And so a little thing can just knock that apart. So we're constantly having to be on it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, those those rules of thumb about like, here's how you deal with a child. Like you have to teach a 10-year-old that there are consequences to their behavior. And these are the general ways that you do it. Not only do they, are they not one size fits all 
in general, given a child's like personality, but especially when there's been this major disruption and there hasn't been an opportunity for development as we understand it. I'm trying not to use the word normal because what's normal, right? That is typical. And right. there you go. not a typical kid. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I was just thinking about how, like when he gets in trouble, like this is a perfect example, a counterpoint to what you were saying. When he gets in trouble, he doesn't like, if he's at school and he does something wrong, he doesn't get in trouble at home. What we do is we triple down on the attention and connection. So sending him to his room or whatever, like this doesn't work because it creates this bigger schism. So what the vice principal doesn't understand is that when he comes back, I'm like canceling all my and going, you know, let's read Percy Jackson and like hang out in bed and just like get cozy. And, you know, and then we talk about why he did what he did and that kind of stuff. And maybe we have a snack together or something like that, you know, a special snack. So like the, the, it's just different. It's just different. And I know that it's hard for people to think like, because we live in a society where everybody needs to punish. Like if you do something wrong, the response is, you know, you need to have time out or you need to be in jail or you need to, you need to suffer because you did this bad thing with this idea that if you do, if you are punished enough, you will stop doing it. But for kids whose brain is constantly in fight or flight, punishment doesn't work. Because they're not saying, I'm going to like, you know, I'm planning this thing or, you know, they're, they're basically like somebody hit them in school and he's just going to pummel him back. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. he can't yeah. control himself. Right. So we have to work on that, not punish him because in the, in the moment of impulsivity, punishment doesn't work. So all yeah. those things are connected together. And I think this is an important, just quickly, because I know Megan wants to bring us back to the nitty gritty of food. But I think that even for kids who are typical and have all the securities that we've been talking about, you know, you're reminding me of something that I was told fairly recently. There was an incident in my neighborhood in Brooklyn, and my younger son was extremely upset about it. And we reconnected with a therapist who he had been seeing years prior. Because we were afraid, it seemed like maybe he was having a trauma response to what oh, wow. had happened. There was a shooting in my neighborhood, basically, and he was really, really scared. I love that you saw that, though. Like you, yeah, ran- he was, he was really upset. So we like called the therapist, and one of the things she said is like, "Let me have a meeting or two with him. Like I can gauge if we want to do a trauma protocol with him." But here's what I need you to know as parents: a lot of the stuff that I worked on with him when he was younger, a few years ago, you know, being explosive when he doesn't get what he wants, like having trouble with schoolwork and like really being so frustrating to deal with, (laughs) um, climbing into your bed, certain eating things. She was like, expect for all of that to come back. And what I want you to do is I need you to put it out of your head that this was like, you know, one step forward, two steps back. And like, don't double down on all of the things we did to get him to a place where he is sleeping in his own bed and he is doing his homework without drama and tears. Actually, right now, I want you to, she didn't use this word, but basically like accept all of it, indulge it. Like right now, that's what he needs. Yes. When kids are in, you know, when they're off, when they're not calibrated, 
for whatever reason, whether it's long-term or even short-term, the need for comfort and security is so, so important. Like, of course you can sleep in our bed. Like, of course we understand yes. what you're going through. Of course you can eat that. Like, of course we understand that you're shoving food in your backpack. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. And I love that you made this point. It's not just kids from like trauma. Yes. Backgrounds. That's right. It's just, it's just, you know, your kiddo's a regular kiddo. Yeah. And, you know, hasn't had like that level of trauma and still has these like yep. responses this. And so we all can like, I think if we all were more trauma informed, it would also just help our typical kids as well. Yes, totally. I love this. He's like, oh, Megan's always going to keep us back on point because I like want to go way out. Oh, wait, on I, this do. Subject. I, I want you to go way out too. I love well, that. Okay. So one, we, ta- we ta- have talked about this on the podcast before this idea that like comfort is easy. Like it is in a lot of ways, a better and easier to like comfort in the moment rather than like push something aside. And I do think outside of trauma, we will continue to see attachment as an issue and as it relates to food, as we move forward with like parenting in the modern age where we're like all on our screens, screens are at mealtimes more often than not for a lot of families, especially living through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I also grew up like the first couple years of my life were food insecure and there was like an ad- some addiction influence there my parents being in NA and AA and I like hear what you're saying about Rafi and I'm like I relate to so much of that deeply and as I'm like reparenting myself while I'm parenting a kid of my own age I was talking about this with a friend last night that when I was my daughter's age and she's 10 my dad was in prison for dealing drugs and like that had a big influence on me and my at the same time my mom's like counterpoint as a single mom who wasn't like always available was that because she was working and going to school was also that she was like dealing with her own body image issues and so i'm just so curious and i hope this is helpful for like any listener like what are the things that you work on as far as attachment like feel feeding love to your kids of like all, you know, all of your kids, not just Rafi who struggles. Like what are some key takeaways? Like, if things that you've seen around feeding and like personally want that for myself of like, okay, how do I reparent some of my attachment issues around food moving forward? Oh, I love that you're doing, that's an amazing question. I was so like, just moved by your story. That's a lot. For you. It's a lot. It's a lot that like, and I, we went to therapy when I was a kid and I continue to do therapy as an adult, but that's not always like accessible to everyone too, right? Like sometimes we just need to hear other experiences and take a little bit from that. Yeah. Yeah. So specifically, so well, because if you think about like, um, and I'm really just learning this, I mean, I'm learning, you know, I'm taking a class on reactive attachment disorder next week. And so I'm still in the process of trying to do better. So first, as I said before, we make food uh, constantly available. There are no locks on the fridge. There are no, again, there are, we choose what, they choose how much and when. And that sets up a pretty good uh, paradigm for that, that making food special, like Rafi still talks about like how we 
we made Chinese noodles for his adoption ceremony. And so having him be involved in that, um, little thing, be paying attention to having, um, he, his thing is he likes to have um, stuff left over in the pan. So he knows that he can have seconds. And so, so I always make sure. So I think noting those little things, the things that make you feel really, really safe, the things that make you feel comfort. And this is probably something that you talked about in like with comfort food a lot, but um, I had to, um, one of the things I had to do was stop um, making all kinds of different dishes. You know how you don't, you just want to like do something different. Oh, and you're like an amazing intrepid cook. Yes. I love doing that. I mean, it's just really, it's my catharsis, right? Yes, totally. Rafi, he needs, he needs comfort and sameness. And so when I find out something that he likes, we like flip it into the rotation a lot. You know what I mean? We do a lot of make your own stuff so that people can feel connected to their own food. Like I'm not handing them a plate, but Mm -hmm. they're like, it might be like a rice bowl, right? Where there's like, um, short grain rice, and then there's some salmon, and then there's, um, you know, those kinds of things. Um, those, him being able to make his own food is incredibly comforting to him and to check how much he needs and what's in the bowl. Um, so I, I mean, my feeling is when I think about this question, and I think I'm going to probably think about this question a lot and maybe have like a lot more thoughts about it later on. This is such a good question, but I feel like if you really think about what you give yourself, being about making an attachment to yourself, Mm. connecting to yourself and eating things that feel, I mean, I guess this feels really obvious, but I think if you are like very pointed about taking care of like what makes you feel good. And maybe what makes you feel good is a bag of Doritos and a can of Diet Coke. And if that, (laughs) (laughs) as I hold up my can, you know, this is, okay, this is a perfect example. This is not, you know, ooh, Diet Coke. It's terrible, right? But it actually just makes me happy. Yeah. So, you know, my feeling is as long as we can create new avenues of comfort for ourselves and uh and through food i just feel like it helps it helps like just nurture whatever we're trying to create inside of ourselves i don't know if that actually answers your question what resonates so much for me is the thing about making special food because i feel sometimes i am that parent like i want to make puppy pancakes on a sunday morning or saturday morning like because I think that that's really cute and special. And sometimes I I can feel like that's frivolous or even that it falls flat for my kids. But I love hearing that it like does create this really healthy attachment. And then outside of that, like the thing about reconnecting with yourself and like making your own food special is like, I think that's so important for parents to hear, especially moms who like are continuously putting themselves second, third, fourth, last on the list. Yeah we have talked about this, like whole episodes dedicated to it. Like sometimes you need to feed yourself first because you have to be like filled up enough to take care of your family and having that healthy attachment for yourself is so important for creating it for your kids too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to have like 
any, if you write more about the answer of like reparenting and attachment and what works, we'd love to share it with our audience. And like, if, or if you ever want to come back and talk even more about it after you've thought about it, like, I think it's a, a vast, vast subject that we can I think into. it is a vast subject. I think you're right. And I haven't really thought about that. And so I love that you asked it and it feels like I'm going to be in the shower thinking about it, you know? Yes. Yeah. That kind of thing. But I, I think you're right in that, um, and also about the pancakes, it doesn't matter if it falls flat. There's something about the repetition. Yeah. That Sunday is mom's weird pancake day. You know, <laughs> even if it's like, there's something, they, they remember that, you know, yes. they remember those like goofy things and that's attachment right? Like mom's always going to make these silly pancakes and I'm 15 or whatever. And I just think it's stupid, but I'm, you know, whatever, I'll just humor her. That's an attachment thing. Right. Yeah. And, and I had to stop like constantly having new stuff because they need repetition. They need to know that mom's making that like dinner that I love, you know what I mean? Yeah. Even though I'm like, oh, like love <laughs> totally. And I hate making mashed potatoes. Like I hate. There's like, so much work. They are so much work. Bless like, you. Yeah, it hurts my that. arm. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I just I hate it. And and so I don't like making mashed potatoes. But I just you know I do it because he loves. He's like, oh mashed potatoes. You know what I mean. So those are the kinds of things that if you know they like it you know, that kind of stuff then. Yeah. Also, I feel like parents of teens hearing you say like, oh, it's so good for them to even have the eye roll. I'm just going to humor mom yeah. thing going on because it equals attachment. I think parents of teens are like, yes, okay. I'm, I maybe am not screwing up all the time over here. My daughters came to me and said, I'm really glad that you guys like made us eat healthy. And I was like, like, you know what I mean? Like it was, I was shocked. I was just completely shocked. I was like, yeah, like one, yes, all that work in the eye rolling. So anyway, go ahead. Sorry, Stacey. I, I was just going to say that it's interesting to me that like so much of our, the first part of our conversation was about typical and atypical and like shifting your mindset. But then when we really bring it all around, <laughs> it's kind of all the same advice that we really give to everybody, including ourselves, when we talk about like diet culture and anti-diet culture and comfort foods, which Megan and I have tackled too on the podcast, that really allowing yourself to view food as a vehicle through which we can comfort ourselves, comfort others, show love and connect is really what it comes down to, because no matter how that looks, that's what it's about. You know, for you, Kim, your daughters, one of whom is 15, right, mm -hmm. is like, thank God you made me eat healthy or whatever. That's not how she put it. I, I, I elevated it. I made it even bigger. <laughs> but for me, it's like, oh, right. So Isaac is in this phase where he is like really doubling down on junk food. But it's also, you know, year three of COVID, he transitioned to high school. Like, He's been having a harder year, like, you know, his passion is basketball and he couldn't play for a whole year and now he's back and there's so much stuff going on and this is clearly bringing him comfort. And as long as I'm also giving him opportunity to engage with and slowly over time, forge other new, different, maybe slightly healthier, whatever that means, paths of comforting himself, 
you know, then it's okay. Like let him, let him do that. And that's a really important reminder for me when I'm getting super stressed out that he's like, you know, eating Doritos three times a day or whatever it is that he's doing. I don't even know anymore. Look, I do the same thing when I see my kids. I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe they're eating that. Right. It's terrible. Like their poop is blue. Like I just... (laughs) sometimes yes that cannot be good for you yeah like look don't you care (laughs) they're like no not really (laughs) i think that and i think you're right i love that point that maybe it's sort of extreme with rafi because of where he came from but it's really all the same isn't it it's really all the same yes it's extreme and like the nitty gritty of how you move through the days might look a little bit different, but actually it is, it's all the same, which is that like all food is food and, you know, to try our hardest just to like relinquish judgment and, you know, be connected with how it makes us feel and try to forge connections and attachment and love and using food for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And look, they're not going to, I mean, if they've been eating, you know, I mean, my, my, I can't get Rafi and Desi to do this, but Lucy and Edie ate soup all the time. I can always get soup into them. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So if that's what it takes, you know, like you can have your Takis and your Doritos, but Hey, I just made you soup. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and look, and you know, I, I've done a lot of research on poverty uh, for the book that I'm writing. And, you know, there's, this is why you might see someone, you know, but at the convenience store, you know, buying really shitty food for their kid. Yes. Because they can't maybe do a lot of the more cathartic things that, that we all can do for our kids because we have more resources and more money, but this mom can get him like a blue Gatorade as, you know, a bag of Takis and this kid's like friggin' happy and an attachment is made. And so when I see people like getting all like, you know, poor people, you know, blah, 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 and that kind of thing. I get it. I get what they're saying. I get it. But that's not actually a true indication of what's going on. You know, I understand the concern, but that's not really what's going on. I love it. I think that's such an important point. Yeah. I mean, I feel like we could talk to you forever. We're going to have to have you come back when your book publishes. But I do want to, I said it was Megan, but actually <laughs> nitty gritty, nitty gritty. Here I am. Just if there are any listeners out there who are considering fostering and have concerns about, you know, what it costs and what it costs to feed additional mouths and how that kind of ebbs and flows if you're taking on fosters, but you're not going to adopt. And there are a lot of different people coming in and out. Do you have any just sort of like practical tips for like budgeting or thinking about that piece of it? Well, you get like, you get money to cover the extra food costs and stuff. It's not a lot of money. Is it enough? I was going to say, is it enough? About $500. Okay. I mean, it, it varies state to state, but it's around $500. It's enough it's more than enough but you know my pet peeve has always been if they had just given that money that five hundred dollars a month to the family Family. maybe some of those kids would not be pulled from the home do you know what i mean so like i sort of have this thing about that money you know like it's great that we have the money to have extra whatever but 
it would be great if the family got that. And there is now actual, um, I don't know if you know, you, you saw it, but there is uh, new pieces of research out, just came out this week that said that um, when parents have um, more money, brain development for infants is different. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a huge thing. I mean, when you think about that, that it actually, how much money you have affects brain development. Right. So, okay. So going, sorry, I'm like on a tangent. Sorry. Yeah, um, no, <laughs> it's relevant. It's relevant. It it's relevant. Yeah. The logistics, I mean, look, at, don't be worried about money and how you're going to put food on the table. Worry about being trauma informed. Worry about knowing how, if you're a white foster parent, knowing how to parent children from different cultural, ethnic, or racial backgrounds, getting, being educated and understanding that behaviors of kids are often a cry for help um, and support instead of like punishing, you know, if your kid runs away, you need to be asking why are they running away? What's going on with them? Not punishing them because they ran away. And so those things to me are way more that kind of research and sort of um, getting into the situation and figuring out what's going on is really more important than whether you'll be able to put food on the table because they'll pay you and you will. Okay. And do you believe in the foster care system? I mean, would you encourage someone to consider fostering? I mean, it sounds like it's, it's, it's an important thing to do that you have felt and maybe still feel passionately about. It's also a broken system. It sounds like. Totally. Look, I don't think foster care is the answer to anything. mm -hmm. I don't think, um, like I, I don't, and I don't know how this works. I'm just a writer. I'm not like a person who creates policy, but you know, I would even, I would be more comfortable with like a situation where a family adopted another family and that you were helping the family and being an advocate for the family and maybe Mm -hmm. like, you know, be like that kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? But I also, you know, right now we're here for the kid. Yes. The focus is the kid. Yeah. Right. But we're not here to like heal the family. And I think healing the family, even if the kid can't stay, in that family, that connection to the family is really important because all kids love their parents, Yes, all of them. And they, they care about their parents and they worry about their parents and they want to have relationships with people who are biologically related to them. Yes. Even if they're, even if they need to be adopted into another home. I think if you want, if somebody wants to foster, there's a need. Um, I would, I tell everybody who wants to foster, you are not fostering the child, you're fostering the family. And that means for somebody who's middle-class, that means maybe getting out of your comfort zone and seeing that people, there's a lot of foster parents are like a lot, sometimes they're like, oh, she scares me, you know, she's scary, you know, but she lives a different life than you, right? Her circumstances are different. I would say you have to get outside of your own little bubble. You have to see people where they are. You have to engage with children where they are, not where you want them to be. And I think all of those things are all connected to food, right? Those things are all because food is sort of connected to that attachment. So that means that means creating situations through food that make them feel secure. Yeah. This is an amazing conversation. I loved every second of it. Every second. And and all the turkey gobbles also. Kim, thank you for joining us today. We can't wait to have you back when your book comes out or when you want to come talk to to. us more about reparenting and attachment and eating. I would love to. You guys are amazing. 
Stacey, I cannot wait to hear more from Kim when her book comes out, particularly on the subject of poverty and how that impacts development. And, you know, we talk sometimes about like, oh, the the cost of food and budgeting and all that stuff. But like really deep poverty is such a different thing than being budget conscious. And I yes. think that in general, like speaking of didn't I just feed you, speaking of food media, that we don't talk enough about it and like really expose what the reality is for a lot of people. Yeah. And I think that also for those of us who aren't food insecure, thinking about the impact of our judgment and making sure that we give a platform and an opportunity for people who are familiar with food insecurity related to poverty, whether it's you sharing some of your story from very early on, or Kim, who's been, is adjacent to it, but in a very close and intimate way, or people who work on it, or people who've lived it. It's so important. I know that living in New York City, especially before I had kids, I was working with kids, but I didn't have my own yet. So it was very easy to be judgmental and think that I knew because I had studied kids and I work with kids and I give no freaking idea what it's like to be a parent until you're in the trenches. Living in New York City, I remember many times when I'd be commuting to work and I'd see parents giving their kids soda first thing in the morning on the way to school. And I'd be like, oh my gosh, like, why would you what do are they that? doing? Yes. What are you doing? And just how harmful those thoughts are, even if you don't put them out into the world, and that person never knows that you've thought that just how harmful that kind of thinking is in your own mind. Like, what's the line between that and what I struggle with with Isaac? and judging his intake and his food intake, instead of just seeing it as an opportunity for him to figure out something on his own and to figure out how to self-soothe and comfort and find his own way. If you have a context of security and you are able to provide opportunities for your family to have access to healthy meals, like that's the job if you're lucky enough to have the resources and privilege to be able to do it you know, and letting go of the rest of it and all that judgment around food. I I don't know. It just seems like that seems like important personal work for me. And that was reiterated or that, you know, reinforced in this conversation for me. Yeah. There's also something for me where it's like, we can, a lot of times when we're in conversation with guests, we can be like, oh yes, that advice is so universal. And it, it it can be, right? Like Rafi's experience as a foster kid being adopted, like it, it there is some universal experience in there. My mm-hmm. 10-year-old is experiencing the same things. But I think also having the lens of like, yes, it's advice that can be applicable in many situations, but like the lived experience is so different. And we have to think about how to be supportive in a way that is also not with the judgment. Like, oh, well, I'll just teach you how to cook these things so you don't have to have soda for breakfast on the subway, where it's like, actually, this, the better solution is changing the system, yes. getting more financial support rather than just the resources of yes. knowledge. Because sometimes that isn't the the gap or the roadblock for these families. Totally. 
which I think really speaks volumes about where we are as a country right now. And it's really on all sides. This is, I don't believe this is a political statement, but all of us kind of looking at each other instead of looking at the system. Yeah. And, and saying, what can we do to change the system? And maybe not everybody wants to change the system. And that is a real fissure between people that exists. But, you know, just taking a step back and saying, like, judging, this came up with our conversation with Isaiah's yes. queer brown vegan. Yes. Like, stop judging each other. Like, it's that's not what's going to make the difference here. <laughs> what's going to make the difference is thinking about the system and trying to take actions that hold the system responsible yes. and trying to support better systems or organizations that are working to change the system or put better systems. That's a hard word today, too, in <laughs> place. You know, it's like it's very powerful to hear Kim say there's enough food for everybody because I've heard this. There was a, you know, like mainstream media, New York times piece about this about a year ago in the context of COVID that there are all these people going hungry. And then there are these like big warehouses where food is rotting. Yes. We have the food to feed people. Yes. We have the means, right? Like there is that $500 that's already allotted to support this child, but only if the child goes to a foster home. Yeah. You know, it's, so it's interesting. I mean, these are not easy, quick things. I'm not trying to act like it's like so simple. The money's there, just reroute it. I know it doesn't work that way, but. Right. And also it can be easy to get overwhelmed when you hear conversations like this and be like, well, there's not, there's nothing I can do that's actually really impactful. I'm not going to change the whole system, but I think talking about it is for sure the first place and like being aware of what could be changed is helpful towards moving in that direction. Absolutely. You know, who's going to have the more best? to say? <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, Will they the have more to say? I'm very, I'm very curious to hear yeah. what our community has to say. I think that this is not only an interesting conversation, but I'm just so excited about this series Mm. because it's just so easy to read all this family food media and even to listen to a lot of our episodes. And it's not always going to be like so out there and crazy. I mean, we'd gotten feedback at one point that a lot of our advice didn't even work very well for single parents. Right. You know, just kind of making sure that we're talking to family cooks who are living in all different kinds of contexts just because of what you said, just because it's easy, an easy place to start and a meaningful place to start. So we want to hear from you guys about what you think of this new series, what you think of our interview with Kim. And also if you have ideas for what we should be covering in this, how we feed series. So hopefully you've already joined us in our community, then it's easy. But if not, you guys can join for free. Or if you want those bonus episodes and other goodies, you just join our supporting community. All the details for joining either group are at didn'tijustfeedyou.com slash community. You can also keep in touch with us on Instagram where we are at didn't I just feed you or by signing up for our newsletter. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you get your podcasts. Or if you're already a subscriber, leave us a rating and review. 
I love that we say it so many times. I don't know how much like it's going to take for people to realize that those are like our favorite thing ever. And honestly, one of the best ways to support the podcast. Yes. They're little gold nuggets. Like little gold you're nuggets. obsessed with Animal Crossing, which I am right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> A huge thank you to our editor, Samantha Getzik. I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Stay sane and well-fed until next week. Be sure to subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you're listening. And don't forget to rate and review. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.